You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast as we go through a study of Hebrews chapter 11 in a series called Faith Lessons. If you have a Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11, uh, and as you do so, we're going through a series called Faith Series, where we're actually taking our time through Hebrews chapter 11. Tonight's message is going to be Faith Rewarded. Last week, we looked in the beginning of Hebrews 11, verses 1 through 7. Tonight, we'll be in Hebrews 8 through uh, 16, and also, if you want, you can even preemptively turn to Genesis because we're going to be looking at Abraham tonight. And so, man, we're taking time to ponder, to study, to meditate on this subject, an important subject of faith. Faith. And faith, we have to understand, is a trust. It's a belief. It's a confidence in something or someone. Okay? And so God wants us to have faith in him and his word. What he's spoken to us and what he has declared. Because when we trust in Jesus, the Bible says over and over again, we are blessed. Let me give you another verse just to bring some confidence to you. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 7 through 8. Through the prophet, God spoke to his people. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its root by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for it leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. How many of you guys want fruit in your life? Jesus says you have fruit when you remain, when you dwell, when you trust in him. And faith for the Christian is like a foundation where we build upon, where we stack our lives upon and are centered on this person of Jesus, where we continually trust in him. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is trying to teach us as he gives us all these Old Testament characters of people of the old that have trusted in God. He's trying to say that we shouldn't just have faith for faith, trust or belief in belief. It's something or someone, and that someone is Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, God himself. He is God, and we are to serve him. We are to trust him because he has the competency and he has the character. Lord, what we sang about, he's faithful. You can be secure in him. You can base your life on him. Paul would say in a different way, 1 Corinthians 1.20, he would say, for all the promises of God find their yes in him, speaking of Jesus. That is why it is through him, the Bible says, we utter our amen to God for his glory. And so we understand and we believe that there is a God that speaks, that he reveals himself. And that is the person of Jesus Christ. And we follow him and trust him. And Jesus even said himself in John chapter 13, if you know these things, his teaching, the ways of this, uh, this Messiah, you are blessed if you do him. And so God speaks to us. And so we need to understand when we're going to Old Testament, New Testament, context of any book of the Bible, we're always trying to see Jesus. What are we trusting in? How do we apply what we're learning? And the book of Hebrews starts off in chapter 1. And we gave you some context last week, but since we're sort of still in the beginning of the series and we're going to take our time six weeks in this long chapter studying all these Old Testament characters, listen to what the book of Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 through 3 says. This is his whole point because remember, better is a key frame in this book of the Bible. It's said 13 times that Jesus is better. He's better than Moses. He's better than the angels. He's better than this. He's better than that. And the writer starts off and says long ago in verse 1 of chapter 1, At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. 
But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom we appointed an heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And so we look to the living word and the word of God. And so we're placing our faith in something or someone, the person of Jesus and, and his word. Warren Wiersbe gave us this quote about what true biblical faith is. He says, true biblical faith is the confident obedience to God's word in spite of the circumstance or consequences. Again, he says, true biblical faith is the confident obedience to God's word in spite of the circumstances or uh, consequences. And so in chapter 11, we pick up in verse 1 and 2, the writer of Hebrews is giving this this description, not necessarily a definition, but a description of faith. He's trying to give you word pictures of what it looks like because he wants you to trust in this God, Jesus. So he says, now faith is this assurance of things hoped for, this conviction of things seen, uh, not seen, for by it the people of old received their accommodation. And so he's showing us, he's describing us this living faith, this active faith, what it's like to trust in God himself. And he's doing it by these great godly characters and how faith enables us and empowers us to do certain things. It's amazing the people that can live by faith and not by sight and the benefits that we get from living by faith. First, he said in Genesis chapter four through nine, a couple of uh, uh, examples, Abel, Cain and Abel, we know the story. We looked at it last week, but Abel was able, uh, Abel was able, ha, that's funny. Abel, uh, by faith, it caused Abel to worship God. And through faith, you worship God. By his word, he tells us how to worship God and we are to worship God appropriately. Then he gives this picture of Enoch. He says, faith helped Enoch live with integrity. Even when people weren't like looking at him and writing things, he got caught up to be with the Lord. He walked with God and got caught up. And, and there was another character in the Bible, Elijah, that did this as well. But no one actually recorded the life of Enoch, but God saw his heart and his faith, and he was pleased by that. Lastly, he gave already an example of Noah. And faith enabled Noah to endure as there was ridicule, as there was patience, as he was building the ark and trusting God, all of these people had faith that worked, action. And that action rewarded their lives. And so now we pick up our study in verse 8 through 16 as the list continues with a person named Abraham, the father of faith. Now his story is recorded in Genesis chapter 12 through 25. Again, last week we looked at Genesis 4 through 9, this week 12 through 25. And I say that because this week you can actually read that as your devotional, your Bible reading, and get to know the character of Abraham as we're looking on Sunday. And we'll actually take two weeks to look at the life of Abraham because these are about, I don't know, 13, 14 chapters that describe his life. And there's a lot to be said. But let me just warn you, as we're studying these characters and talking about faith, getting the de definition, really rolling into this series and looking at all these characters, um, we are to learn from these people, to apply these principles to our hearts, because if you don't, it'll actually harm you. When you study about faith and things of God that he tells you to do and you ignore it or you harden your heart by just saying, that was for them and not for me, it's actually damaging for you. And I was reminded of this as I was reading a book this week uh, that was talking about germ theory. 
germ theory. Now, the science of, uh, sciencemuseum.org says germ theory of disease is the currently accepted scientific theory for many diseases. It states that microorganisms known as pathogens or germs, right, can lead to disease uh, to disease. The small organisms, too small to see without magnification, invade human, uh, human beings, other animals, or other living hosts. Uh, hence, this is why we wash our hands during COVID, or we have hand sanitizer, we're wearing masks, because there's things, things called germs. And there's a theory of germs and how they spread and how they work. Even though you can't see them, they actually, this invisible thing that we all believe, actually affects the things that are, are visible that we receive. This seems like common sense now, especially with like people like um, infectious disease specialists and COVID-19, but it always was not this way. Did you know that? It wasn't like this was just always known that there was bacteria and germs and all these things. It wasn't until Dr. Joseph Linster in the late 1800s, he was a British doctor, lived from 1827 to 1912. He sort of applied this science of germ theory to surgery. That's what really got really known. And back then, having surgery in, in the late, um, late 1800s, early 1900s, it was like basically a death sentence. You would have surgery and most people would die. I know this even because when we did a fourth grade trip up to St. Augustine, they were teaching about this to the kids in education. You learn this. Uh, they would have multiple surgeries in one day, but they would not properly sanitize the tools. So if you're the first guy up, you're golden, right? You put a little water on there and you go to the next guy, not so much. Sometimes it could work, sometimes not so much. Okay, and this small and simple surgery, a small and simple surgery, most people would die if they were in the afternoon because they were dying from bacteria. It wasn't until the use of a method called antiseptis, antiseptis is the method, antiseptic you may understand or know about, but antiseptis, which was actually using chemicals to destroy the germs that cause these infections. And now because of this application, millions and millions of lives have been saved. In fact, historyofyesterday.com says germ theory enabled sanitation, vaccines, and effective medicines. All of these things have been technologically possible for centuries, but they were conceptually impossible, and so they didn't happen. It's a really easy thing to get some antibacterial soap to wash your hands, do these type of things. The concept was there, but the application wasn't. And so millions of people were dying. And the theory literally changed, it says, quote, cities from death traps to escape hatches. Because you remember about 200 years ago, if you lived in a city, it was rubbish. It was garbage. It was a hard life because there were so many germs, so much bacteria, all these different things. Now, why is this important to us? Well, this is huge. Because it was not only that he believed, Dr. Joseph believed this in this theory, but that, that something invisible would affect the visible world. But it wasn't until others learned from his practice and applied it that millions and millions of people were saved. Okay, let me just say that again. It wasn't until others learned his practice and applied it until other people received the great blessings of it. And this is what this chapter is all about. It's showing us people that have walked a certain way and trusted in God. But the blessing is when we receive that principle to trust a person in Jesus and apply it to our lives, that we actually will be saved and reap some of these rewards. And it's very dangerous 
when there's a very simple concept, but you don't apply it to your life. And so as always, we go to God's word saying, Lord, speak to me. Holy Spirit, minister. Let me understand your word. Let me apply it to your life. God, empower me to do this. And the Bible says when you do this, you are actually rewarded. And so let's get into our Bible study. Let's talk about Abraham, but let's pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to us and apply it to our hearts. God, we pray right now by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would speak. We know that there's no lyric slides and we're going um, through technical uh, complications, but Lord, you are sovereign, you are good, you are in our midst, and we don't need any of that. We need you. We need you to do a deep work of transformation. Lord, you've already given us your word. I'm simply even just trying to communicate it the best I can, and I'm imperfect. And so we pray, Lord, that you would use an imperfect man to teach your perfect word tonight. The Holy Spirit, we would come with so soft hearts and, and just the seeds would be planted in our lives that we would bear fruit, that we would continue to trust and dwell and remain in and we are desperate for you tonight again. So build our faith through the hearing of your word, Christ. Continue to help us understand these deep truths. We want to be men and women of, of the word and prayer and going back and forth and in just communication, relationship with you. And so as we study these things, God, May we apply it to our lives. May we just enjoy your presence. It's so good to be with you and be with your people. So minister, God. We love you, Lord, and we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, we're in Hebrews 11, but like I said, you may want to go to Genesis. Genesis chapter 17. We'll start. I'm going to give you a couple of passages. We'll read in Genesis to get some context of this person of Abraham as well. Okay, and so you'll be flipping around, but we're looking at this guy named Abram, Abraham. And his name always wasn't Abraham. It was actually Abram. And so Genesis chapter 17, verses 5 through 8. Those in the room, you could read on your Bible. Usually I have the words on the screen, and online you'll see those things and my points on the screen. But uh, right here in Genesis chapter 17, the verse 5 through 8, it gives us a little bit of context of the Lord changing this guy Abram to Abraham's name. Okay, Abraham means father of many of the nations. And, and so in verse 5 through 8, it just says this. It says, No longer shall you, your name be called Abram, but you shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations. Now remember, this is God speaking to Abram. And the king shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your, of your sojourners, the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession. I will be their God. Uh, in this text, we see that Abram turns God turns his name into Abraham because it's through a covenant or a promise that he makes to Abraham and he reminds them of this promise. He first gave this promise in Genesis chapter 12. Uh, and so you could flip there. We'll read a little bit about that as well. But this promise of the Messiah would come and that through Abraham's bloodline, the Messiah would come and many nations would be blessed. If you go to Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 5, we'll read this. This is the first section of Abraham where Abram is doing his thing. He's living his life and then God intersects in that and he goes to him and he speaks. 
Now, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's home to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Again, this is God proactively promising and pursuing Abram. He says in verse 3, I will bless those who bless you. And, will, uh, and him who will dishonor you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, which would be later known as Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Hanan. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan when they came to the land of Canaan. And it goes on, and I'll let you read this week a little about the life of Abraham. But what I want to know and I want to establish in our study is the important part of Abraham's story that God pursued this man by grace and gave a covenant or a promise. And he chose Abram because of his grace, not because he was full of faith at first or because he was this great, perfect character. And you see, as you read this week, he actually blows it a couple of times. And God, yet despite Abram, actually worked in a mighty way in his life. But we have to understand there's a big difference between a contract and a covenant. The Bible oftentimes says a covenant. A contract is what is it in for me? There's mutual partners, and if you do your deal and you do your part, then we'll have this great relationship. But if someone breaks the contract or sort of messes up, it's over. It's done. But by, the Bible says that there is a covenant that God gives to Abram, not based on Abraham's performance, but based on who he is. A covenant is based on the person making it. So if the other party fails, the promise is still true. The covenant is still true. Man, aren't you so glad that God gives us a covenant of salvation and not a contract of salvation? This is the father of faith, and it later says that Abram was saved because he trusted in God's word and what he said. And we are saved because we trust in what God has said, that he loves us so much that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. That is not based on your behavior. That is based on if you will receive that or not by faith. So the Bible says we are saved by grace through faith. And so we trust in God and we praise God for this covenant. And Abram learns this important lesson. Salvation is based not off him but of God and his grace. And so, man, Abram uses this, uh, gets this word, and he departs. And he leaves his land. He leaves his father and he takes his wife and he takes his brother's son, which would be his nephew Lot, and they go. And here's an important lesson we need to learn as we talk about faith and, and people going, especially as we're starting to dig into it with characters. When it comes to faith and someone speaking something, especially God, you can either believe it or not. There are no other options. Jesus said, you're with me or you're against me. If you do not believe, it's called unbelief. And so Abram had the decision. God spoke. He proactively went to him. He had the decision, will I trust this or will I not? And we see this father of faith trust God. But he stumbled a little bit. He had to be reminded. And let me just remind you, God is faithful. He loves you. It is good to be reminded of God's character and who he is in the word of God. If you see Abram's story, if you look at Genesis chapter 15, just look a couple of 
chapters later, because this is when Abram got called out at 75 years old. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 5 through 7, or 5 through 6, God reiterates this covenant and reminds Abram. Some of us sometimes, even as believers, we feel guilty that God has to remind us the point over and over and over again. We feel like, man, can't we just get this? We blow this in this area and that area, and God does not, he is not mad or upset to remind people over and over again that he loves you, that he cares for you, that he's full of mercy. In verse 5 through 6, it says this. It was when God went again to Abram uh, and made this covenant again. He brought him outside, brought Abraham outside and said, Look towards the heaven and number the stars, if you are able to even number them. Then he said to them, So shall your offspring be. And he believed, speaking of Abraham, and uh, the Lord, he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. He counted to him as righteousness. You remember what the writer of Hebrews said last week in verse 6, that it pleases God when we just trust him, when we believe. Verse 6 tells us that without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And so Abraham is a guy that sought God and believed him, and God was pleased because he walked by faith. And we see in Abraham's story this context of a promise. He said, you go. So Abraham went, but he didn't know where he was going. And then Abraham, and God says, now I'm going to make you a great nation. But he lost a little faith because he was already 75. So God appears to him at 99 years old and says, I still am going to make it happen. And he's like, I don't know how that's going to happen, but okay. So he didn't really know the where. He didn't really know the how. And he really didn't know the when. He didn't know how long it was going to be. It's crazy when you read the story. There's one chapter where it's like he's 83 or something like that. And then the next chapter, he's 99. Or 86, 80, something like that. It's like 13-year gap by like one verse. We take for granted of that. We feel like, oh, this is, okay, it's 12 chapters. It's no big deal. It's like 25-year venture journey. He didn't know the when. The timing was there. But Abraham, even though he didn't know the where, the how, or the when, he believed. That's what I want to talk to you about tonight, these three simple principles. Because it's so refreshing to know that even when you don't know the where, even when you don't know the how or when you don't know the when, you can still please God by trusting him. Isn't that great? You don't have to know it all to trust God, to believe in who he is, that you could bank on his character, his goodness, and actually please God because as believers, we love because he first loved us and we want to please God and honor God and bless him. And the Bible says we're blessing him when we trust him. And so the simple outline for us is in verse 8 through 10, Abraham believed and obeyed God when he did not know where he was going. You can believe and obey God even though you don't know where God will take you. In verses 11 through 12, Abraham believed and obeyed God even though he didn't know how God will accomplish his will. And you can believe and obey God even though you don't know how God will accomplish his will in your life. In verse 13 through 16, Abraham believed and obeyed God even when he did not know when God would fulfill his promise. And listen, you're never going to know sometimes when God will fulfill it, his promise. And he says you can still believe and trust him and obey him. And so if you're a control freak right now, your insides are just tearing up. 
<laughs> Are you like me right now? What do you mean? I don't know the where, the how, the when. What are you talking about? This is ridiculous. Yes, that's called faith, trust. This is the series, okay? We're talking about faith and trusting God. This is what it looks like, that you wouldn't actually be in control, that you would actually trust what God says, base your life off that, and when the storms come, you'll still be standing because God is God and you are not. And when we do that, we please him. Abraham got called to go to the unknown land, the promise to have a child at the impossible age, and then he had to wait for the promise to be fulfilled. And that pleased God because it was something that proved to Abraham and to us that God is God. I think God wants to use your life to prove to other people that God is God. He wants to reveal who he is. But the hard part is in order for him to do a miracle, there has to be a situation where you need a miracle, where you gotta trust, you gotta obey in the situation. But yet, that's faith. And Abraham had faith. And so are we exhorted to have faith and can have faith and walk in these ways. We can please God in our faith even when we don't know all the answers and we are exhorted to know God well enough to trust him. Warren Wiersbe says, true faith is able to wait for the fulfillment of God's purposes and God's time. Again, I'm giving you different pictures and definitions because we need to wrap our minds around what this life looks like to trust God. And the writer of Hebrews is giving us all these pictures and illustrations and people and so let's look at this first point. Because even while Abraham was waiting, he obeyed and believed. So verses 8 through 10, Abraham believed and obeyed when he did not know even where he was going. The text says in verses 8 through 10 of Hebrews chapter 11, because remember he's saying, by faith Abel, by faith Enoch, by faith Noah. It's a powerful thing to live by faith. And by faith Abraham, it says, obeyed. When he was called to go, but to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. Remember, we read that in Genesis chapter 1. He was called out by God, this great inheritance, but he had no idea where he was going. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. But verse 9 says, by faith, this type of faith, he went to live in the land of the promise. And as in the foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So he went out and he obeyed. His eyes were fixed on this heavenly city and he lived in the future tense. This is what faith is able to do. It brings forth hope and assurance, a conviction of what God says, this great God that could build and believe anything and he could do anything, you trust in him. And so it says in this text, verses eight through 10, that Abram, he lived as a foreigner, a sojourner. He was living in tents as a stranger of the land, not knowing where he would settle. So he was just waiting on God all the time. Wow, that would be amazing if we could live by faith just enough to just wait on God all the time. I think God wants that for us. To be ready to move and to hear him and to seek him and say, okay, God, I'm waking up today. Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? What's your plan for me today? 
Abraham didn't want to settle for the things or comforts of this land, so he did not go anywhere God did not direct him. He stayed attentive. He stayed focused, and he did not know where, but he knew the builder, this person, God himself, and so it helped him obey and wait on God. Did you know that Christians today are called sojourners, strangers, pilgrims? In this world, this is not our home, the Bible says. And we should be obeying God by faith and in faith as we wait for our heavenly home just as Abraham did. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 says, Beloved, speaking to Christians, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against our soul. And the way that we do this is through our faith in Jesus and his word. The way that you live a righteous, holy life is looking to the God that can build your life and secure you and live for the hope of heaven. And it was by this faith that enabled Abraham to trust God. And it's by this faith that we trust our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, God himself, and the promises that he has given to us to live a life that glorifies him in this life as sojourners, as exiles as well one that's directed by him, attended to him, and focused on him. And it's by this faith we don't settle in this life, but we're able to live for the next, for our future home. And I remember this really helped us, our family, out moving to Delray Beach when we didn't know where specifically we were going. What really helped us out in big moments and big decisions and probably helped you out, and you know, is knowing God. It's interesting how when we have great faith, a great trust in God, it helps us know him. Remember, we don't just have faith for faith or faith to even be rewarded. Our great reward as Christians is Jesus, is knowing him. And so he calls us out to not know where we go, so we have to actually constantly be depending on him and looking at him. Okay, God, where are we going to go? Where are we going to go? And finally, he did reveal Delray Beach, but he hasn't revealed all the plan. And so he gives us the next step. And okay, now what do we do? All right, now what do we do? Now, it's almost like a good father trying to lead you and say, just follow me. I'm going to give you, okay, now come over here. Okay, now come over here. Now follow me over here. This is what God wants because he's very relational. He wants your heart. You're not saved by all you're doing. He loves you for who you are. And we actually get to do and please God because we're going to him in faith and trusting him in what he says. And we see that Abraham did this and it so it caused his life to not settle on the earth but look to heaven. And through faith, our life should not be settled on this earth but look to God in heaven. The hope that we have and it should direct our lives and guide us. The second thing we see in verse 11 through 12 is that Abraham believed and obeyed God when he did not know how God's will would be accomplished. He didn't know where, but he left. You may not know where, and you can trust, but then he didn't know how. I mean, think about it. Just biologically, he had no idea how this would happen. This should not make sense to to us. Not only did Abraham not know where he was going, but he did not know how God was going to do it. God was promising him children, nations, and he had no children. There was no hope for even nations at this point. But God spoke something, and God was promising something both to him and Sarah, who had no kids, and he was already 75 years old. And yet both Sarah and Abraham believed in God's word. Romans chapter 4 
verse 13 through 25, gives us a little more insight on this story. In verse 18, it says, In hope, Abraham believed against hope. He didn't even actually have faith in hope or for hope's sake. He had faith in God. And he didn't even have hope. He hoped against hope. He couldn't even believe it. But he said, well, God is true and I believe him, so I'm just going to trust him. Whatever this guy says goes. It says that he should become the father of many nations. He believed that. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. In verse 21 of that chapter, it says, fully convinced, because remember, faith gives you a confidence or an insurance that God was able to do what he had promised. This is the power of believing in God's word. It gives us incredible dividends, our reward, conviction, confidence, and to not even knowing how things will get done, but to know, but we know the one that can do anything. So it doesn't matter how it's going to get done. It could be a straight line. It could be going this way. God can direct and he can speak and he can do what we can't do. Miracles. He's supernatural. So if he says it, it goes. He's reality. I'm going to trust that. Look at verse 11 through 12. Read it with me. It says, by faith, this type of faith, Sarah herself received power. There is a great reward for faith. God works through faith. Sarah received power to conceive. Even when she was past the age, even when it was impossible, she, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Verse 12, therefore, because of this, from one man and him as good as dead, that's another way of saying it shouldn't have happened, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven. Remember that passage where God said, hey, look at the stars. I'm going to do it. And as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. I love that. Abraham and Sarah couple they didn't know how it would take place but they knew who gave the promise so they simply believed and trusted and it gave them power you know confidence is amazing you can have the power of God in your life in this life as a sojourner as an exile as you trust in the word of God of the promises of what he said and the more that you know God the greater power that you can have in the midst of the surgery, in the midst of the trials, in the midst of the cancer, in the midst of COVID, it's not based on hope's sake. Forget that. I'm putting my hope in God. That's what this text is saying. And that is the great reward. This is the type of power that God wants to give you, this confidence, the conviction, the assurance that if God says it, it is true. Live your life on it. Bank on it. It is done. This made me think, to ask the question, do you know him? Do you really know God and do you know his character and do you know his word enough that when you hear his voice, you can say, yes, Lord, yes and amen, like Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1, like we read. The more you know God, the greater faith and power and reward you will have in this life. And so the question we have as believers is, well, what is stopping us from knowing him and his word? If we see the great dividends of this faith, this faith in God's word, why wouldn't we be men and women of God's word? Why are we letting other things grab our attention as if they give great dividends? 
There's not a lot of great reward for binge-watching Netflix besides a little bit of numbness. There is dividends. There is some stuff. It does work for a little bit, but it's not great reward. It's not like when the Lord said, hey, seek the kingdom of God and invest finances and have faith and, and be generous and love those people. You not only have rewards now in this life, but for all eternity where neither moth could destroy it, no one could steal it. There's great dividends. There's great reward. It's powerful. So why as Christians do we spend all of our time and our energy on things that aren't that great? We should be asking us, asking these questions in these last days, studying. We only have life. It's like a vapor. What are we going to do? How are we going to invest? Is your life powerful? And if not, it can be through faith. But not faith just to have faith or for dividends. Faith in God. Get to know him. Get to know his word. I mean, the old school Puritan Christian, we used to memorize, they used to memorize scripture like chapters and spend hours in prayer and knowing these stories. Now it's like if we speak for an hour on a Sunday night, it's like, whoa, man, you went long-winded, huh? We're talking about the living king, God Almighty. Why wouldn't we spend extra time, especially now that the days are evil and things are harder, we would did not press in even more into what God has said and through his word? Why are we watching more news than reading the Bible? It just does not make sense. Is there some benefit to it? Absolutely. But it's not the great eternal benefit that God wants for your life. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, do your best. You guys all know your best. To present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Man, let, let's, let's commit in our heart to be like a David who sought after God's own heart, who asked God in Psalm 25, 4, make me know your ways, O Lord. Do we have a desire even to just ask God for help that we would know his word, that we would know him? David said, teach me your past. We need to be men and women of the word so that we can have power in our lives so that we're not living according to the world, but living according to the word of God. Knowing who Jesus is when the trial comes, we're sustained and have hope through God himself. Well, lastly, in verse 13 through 16, Abraham believed and obeyed when he did not know when God would fulfill the promise. Remember, he didn't know where, so he went out to the land of Cana, didn't really know where, had to keep on searching God, praying to God, hey, was this, is this, is this. Then he had to not know how, because both him and Sarah were pretty much dead, couldn't do it, impossible act. But then he had to just wait on it. Probably one of the hardest things about faith. <laughs> it's really exciting in the beginning, isn't it? It's so awesome in the beginning to hear from God. You have this emotional experience. It's incredible. God, imagine he comes down. He's showing you stars. It's awesome. There's this vision, a great calling for your life. And then God's like, now go live it out for a long time. Like, it, it, new and shiny in our culture is very appealing. A new car. But no one gets excited off of their 2001 Toyota Camry. Like, she's been a great car. It's sort of like, you know, it has some dinks and bings and like, but you're not like bragging like, yo, check out my wide man, 15 years faithful. No. 
dog hair all over it. It's dirty. It's nasty. No, but it's some of the hardest things to just be faithful to a faithful God. And see, Abraham had to learn. Abraham first got the call at 75 years old, Genesis 12, 4. We read it. God changed his name. We read this a few chapters later, Genesis 17. He was 99. Imagine that. Let me give you a reminder 20 years later. Like, dude, you know this dude question because as you read the life of Abraham, he tried to take things in his own flesh. He was like, let me, let me get a Hagar and let me just do this. And, oh, you're not my wife. And he still stumbled a little bit because it was hard. It's a hard thing to wait on God. Finally, in Genesis 21, verses 1 through 5, God actually fulfilled the promise. And it says Abraham was 100 years old. Even then, that was just the start of it. Because it wasn't like the nation just birthed overnight. It's talking about stars and sand and generations. And it would be to Isaac and then Jacob and then the 12 sons, the tribe of Israel, would birth out more generations. And out of those generations would finally come along the line, hundreds of years later, Jesus the Messiah, Christ. Abraham was going to have to do some waiting. You're going to have to do some waiting if you walk by faith. You're going to have to trust God, and you're going to have to trust God. The Bible says it's from faith to faith that we trust God. Abraham only saw a little part of the plan, and through faith, he was able to trust God and his perfect timing. Let's not forget this, that God's timing is perfect. God's timing is perfect. You know, Galatians 4.4 says this about Christ, the Messiah, this seed that would bless all the nations. This is the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and then the New Covenant came, like, you know, a long time later. Matthew would start the gospel and saying, all right, so we have these generations, and it would go 14, boom, 14, boom. It would go all these generations to the Messiah Christ. It would be a long, long time. But Galatians 4.4 4 says this, but when the fullness of time had come, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman and born of under the law. Another way of saying it, when it was the right and perfect time, God worked exactly what he would say he would do. But often, I want my time and my plan to work. I don't want to trust God and his time and his plan. But if we have to have faith, part of that faith is trusting that God is sovereign, that he is good, and that he will act accordingly for everyone's good because he is the father of all good gifts. You know, Abraham, Noah, Enoch, Abel, they all had to learn this. And you know what? So do we. Read with me in verses 13 through 16. It says this. All of these died in faith. Meaning they didn't actually get their reward right then. They got some blessing, but not all of it. You're going to have some blessing for living for God, but not all of it in this life not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. They experienced some, but not all. I pray that you experience the goodness of God in this life, but I pray that you experience all of the goodness of God for all eternity. They were, and having acknowledged it says that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, 
they would have had opportunity to return. But their heart, their fixation, their mind was not on the homeland or the things of the past. It was on the things of the future. Verse 16 says, but as it is, they desire a better country. That is, which I'm glad for that because it's a definition, a heavenly one. Therefore, because of this, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. The people of old got through what they got through because they were looking ahead. They were trusting in an eternal God. And through faith, they experienced great rewards here in this life, but they were eagerly awaiting the next life, the fulfillment of the promise. God will fulfill and complete all of his promises. But you may not experience all the goodness of God here on this earth because we have a finite mind. We are in flesh that is decaying, and we do not have our glorified bodies You see, as God's people experienced the goodness of God through faith in this life, they only saw a glimpse. Now, I want you to think about how God has been good to you. Because we can have the negative and say, man, we only see a glimpse of God's goodness. Think about the air that you breathe, the way that your body feels sunshine or a cool breeze, the taste buds of a good meal, fellowship of friends. This is only a glimpse For God is so good and so great that he can't even give you everything and all who he is in this moment. But it will last for all eternity. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 12 says, For now, for now we see in a dim mirror. In a dim mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but I shall know fully, even as I have fully been known. These men and women of faith lived in tents, but they knew a heavenly city, a permanent place, something that was greater and better was coming and awaited for them. Let's learn the lesson in our patience waiting here and now as we wait for the Lord to renew our strength. As we're exhorted, like in Colossians 3, 2, to set our mind on things above, not on the things of this earth. We need this reminder that this is not the end. We need to trust and believe that God's promises are true. If you put your faith in him, there is eternal life. And eternal life is to know God. And we can experience God. And by faith, we're able to focus on the life that we live right now. Pleasing God, living for a life to come. Heaven should remind you of God's perfect timing. Because there will be many disappointments in this life. The life is full of brokenness. It's full of hardship. You know, Warren Wiersbe said, God always fulfills his promises to his people. Either immediately or ultimately. I think sometimes we get upset because we want the ultimate promise. And we want heaven right now but it's to come. And so God does, he is gracious and he says, now you pray heaven on earth. But the reality is, is we're gonna get glorified bodies. We're gonna be with the Lord for all eternity and there will be a new heaven and a new earth and it will be glorious. And even the good grace of God, he lets us have this relational thing where in our brokenness, in our waiting, again, it causes us to wait on him. And so we trust and obey God in this life and we'll be rewarded for the next one. Even when we don't know 
where it will lead us, how it will take place, or when these promises will be fulfilled. And we can rest in that because we're not God, but we can know him and trust in him. And the Bible says when you do that, you will be rewarded. And so next week we'll look at how this faith was tested in Abraham just like it's tested in our lives. Because Abraham and Sarah weren't perfect, they messed up, and neither are we. But even in the midst of our imperfection, we can trust the Lord and we can go to him in our brokenness, in our sin even, and ask for forgiveness and understand his mercy in our lives and his faithfulness in our lives. And so let's pray, let's partake in communion, let's dwell on that word. And we'll pick up our study next week in verse 17 and finish out Abraham's life and learn a few more lessons. Lord, we thank you so much that we can come to your word and we can just take time to meditate, to study. And, and Lord, we want to take this time to not only partake in communion, but to, to build our relationship in you, to wait upon you, even right now, knowing and thinking we don't have words and lyrics. Lord, we want to just be in your presence a little bit more. Sometimes there are words to say. Sometimes we need a, a space to just be with you. I thank you, God, that you've built your church, Redemption Church here, to have a space for people to be with you. So we want to make room for you. We want to repent of our sin. We want to partake in communion, believing that you died and rose again and you are coming back. We want to be people that are based upon your grace, not our behavior. We want to celebrate the gospel that it is good news and we can have eternal life in you for what you've done and the covenant you made. We want to be people of faith, people of your word, people that are filled with your Holy Spirit, people that point others to you. We want to be people that make disciples and generous and loving and caring. So we need you to do that work. We trust that you will reward those that diligently seek you. So we seek you now, God. And we ask, God, for those that are watching or in the room or wherever we be, Lord, that need to press into you, that need to repent and turn to you again. Holy Spirit, draw them close to Jesus. Let them receive this word by faith and build them up in the name of Jesus. We thank you, God, for this time, and we look to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. This is Pastor Daniel Williams with Redemption Church. Thank you so much for listening to this message. You can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, or YouTube, so you never miss a message. The mission of Redemption Church is to pursue and to proclaim Jesus, and we would love to have you partner with us. Feel free to share these messages with your family and friends. And also, if you'd like to donate to the ministry, go to redemptiondb.com. God bless you.